Welcome to Kingdom Builders, where you can learn to live on mission for God. If you want to see more people saved and increase your impact on the kingdom of God, this is the place for you. Every week, we will have guests who are actively living on mission for God, and you will hear practical advice on how you can become better at sharing Jesus with your world. Hello and welcome to Kingdom Builders. And today we have a very special guest with us, Sarah Ekoff Zalstra. Uh, she is the co-writer of the book Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Uh, she is the senior writer for the Gospel Coalition, where she oversees coverage of faith and work. She earned her master's degree in journalism from Northwestern University, and before the Gospel Coalition, she reported news for Christianity Today for more than a decade. So listen in to discover uh, how we can live with resolute hope in an anxious age. Sarah, could you please tell us about how and why you were inspired to write Gospel Bound and give us a few examples of the type of stories that you included in the book? I would love to do that. I um, started writing this type of story. Well, first of all, let's back up. About four years ago, Colin Hansen, I was working at Christianity Today. I had been working there for about 13 years, writing news. And Colin Hansen was at the, at the Gospel Coalition. And he said, why don't you come here and write stories of where God is at work in the world? Like find places where Christians are really being Christians and write about that. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we didn't hear any of those stories. So we were like, are there any of those stories? Is that even a thing? Cause you don't hear that very often. Uh, so we weren't sure we'd even be able to write that. Would he, is that even a job? Um, so I started and basically my job is to follow around the Holy spirit and write like, where is God doing something amazing? So for four years, I've been writing those stories. You can imagine how amazing it is to have a job where you follow God around and write stories about Christians doing phenomenal things with the, with the help of the Holy spirit. And so a couple of years ago, um, Colin was looking at our culture. He thinks big picture and he's like, gosh, it feels like we're moving so much from a Christian age to a post-Christian age. And what, how can Christians live in a post-Christian age? And then he was reading Romans and he's like, you know, the church started in the margins and for most of history, it's been in the margins. So it's not like we don't know what to do. Um, and right there in Romans laid it out, right? Like there's so many instructions, uh, extend hospitality, honor each other, um, care for the weak, love your enemies. It's just all right there. And as soon as he saw those, he was like, you know, we've actually been telling those stories. Like as we follow people around, that's what Christians do. Those are the stories we've been telling. So what the book does is we took, we put it in eight chapters and each one has one of those little instructions. And we explain it a little bit, like how it applies to today and then fill it up with stories of like, here's examples of people who are alive today who are doing the things that Roman says to do. That's what this looks like now. Right. I got you. I got you. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of time, how did you even find these stories? Cause like when you look at the news, I mean, it, it sounds kind of bad, you know, when you look at the shape Christians are in, in the church or you go to a lot of churches nowadays and, not many people showing up you know it's like people don't want to go to church they don't really want to hear about jesus you know so like how did you even break through all of the you know the bad <laughs> stuff to get down to to where jesus was working 
I know that's a good question. That's what we were worried about at the beginning. Like the, I don't even know if this is happening. Yeah. Um, so what we did was, well, Colin had been working in this space for a while. So he had a couple ideas at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And one was um, go to Seattle and see what happened to the church after uh, Mars Hill fell apart. And one of them was, you know, go to China and well, not go to China, but ask people in China, like what's happened? What does the church actually look like? It's so murky there. So like, right. what is it actually looking like over there? And then, you know, once you start to tell these stories, then someone will say, oh, I know this great story. Hey, I know Sarah tells those stories. I'll just, I'll just right. give her a call. So then it's sort of, once you get going, you'd really just need to get started. Cause once you get going, people know you're doing it. And then they think of you when they see that story. So, right, right. And almost, that, and oh yeah, that's how we get them. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and obviously you have to be intentionally looking for that kind of thing. You know, it doesn't just like show up on the news one day. Uh, but <laughs> right. so why, why do you think that we like to focus on negative stuff in the news about Christianity and the culture of the day? Yeah, that's a good question. Part of it is like, did it come from the fall? I don't know, because the, there is a physical reaction in us. If I showed you a good news story, you'd be like, oh, that's cool. But your right. heart rate wouldn't speed up. Like there's no, no physical change in you. You're just like, all right. Like the same thing as if you looked at a blank piece of paper, studies have shown that's the same reaction. You oh, have. that's not good. Wow. Well, that's not good. You, don't, <laughs> you just don't respond. But if you read a negative news headline, um, your heartbeat speeds up studies show and like you're breathing and you and you your adrenaline yeah. goes like you're into your fight or flight like what's happening um and then you that anxiety like then you're clicking on that headline so you can feel like okay this is what's happening and you can like mm -hmm. sort of re-regulate yourself right into like okay now i know so there's a literally a physical reaction in us so like were we created like that did we get broken like that i actually don't know the answer right, but we do right. gravitate toward that and then of course news is a business. These people aren't doing this for free. They have to eat. Um, yes, and yes. so they're chasing what we're clicking on. So that is why that is one reason why our news leans so much that direction. Well, you know, I, I heard something a while back that said that fake news, which is not true. You know, I mean, you put some fake news up there and like it goes viral compared to when you actually tell the truth is like crickets, you know. Isn't that crazy? I know. It, I mean, it, it is. It, it really is a, a, a mystery. Uh, so why do you think Christians are suffering from such high levels of anxiety and fear these days? And you, you, there's a thing in there about resolute hope. You know, I feel like we could all use some resolute hope right now. We could use some resolute hope. So there's a couple reasons. And one is, I mean, social media, that's making everybody anxious. And Christians yes. are no, no exception. Like that fake news um, yeah. and, you know, just sort of feeling un, unstable all the time. That makes everybody anxious. But something that is also making Christians anxious is it's pretty clear that we're moving into a, in a post-Christian direction. It's not like we're all the way to where Europe is. For sure, we're not. Right. But we are like the Equality Act makes you anxious. The fact that abortion is even legal can make you anxious, like the, that you can sue somebody for not making a cake for your transgender coming out. Right. That makes us feel anxious. And those are real things. Right. So we're not anxious because we're like, oh, I, I don't know if my faith is is my faith not right. Like we know our faith is true and right. And we know there's sin in the world. I think what's weird for us now is that in America, we've lived 
our society has valued Christianity for so long, like 30 years ago, it was very respected and pastors were respected and you knew you should go to church, even if you weren't going to church. (laughs) And so, um, that is, that's shifting, like just the general, the growth of the nuns as the nominals slide, you know, farther into nuns, um, then, then we're kind of left with the, we're rubbing against Christianity is rubbing against culture in a way that it has not in the past. And so that's a source of anxiety too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you're right when you're used to living in a culture that you fit in with, you know, and everybody's cool and like, Oh, you're a Christian. That's great. I want to be like you. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, Oh no, 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 we don't want none of that business. You know, it's tough to live in an atmosphere where, that is that is the re, the reality, you know, because we all want to be liked, you know. That's, that's right. That's one thing that that we want to to be. But I, I feel like you can almost make more of a difference when the culture and everybody else is going the other way, and you choose to go the way with with the gospel. You know, uh, I remember one time in college, I had this uh, professor, and she was from uh, Berkeley, I think, California. You know, yeah, yeah, and we and. Uh, communications class is not a good place for a preacher to be, you know, I mean, just give him a platform and they like <laughs> to preach, you know? And so this lady, she just, she gave us a, she gave me a hard time, you know I mean? I'll point you out in class and, and all that, but it was amazing. All these different people in my class, like Mormons, like uh, people who didn't believe in God, like all that kind of stuff, just by the way I responded to those things, like it actually impacted them, you know, and made a difference. Yeah. And so I, I think that is a, a great point. Um, so, so how do you, you know, as, as a person who believes that, you know, God exists and that he is good, you know, you look at the problems of the world and it's almost like you want to say, well, uh, is it really, is it really worth it? I mean, can I do any good? So how can we prevent from looking at the problems of the world and from stopping us from serving at all and doing nothing? Mm-hmm. Isn't that a good question? Um, I think that is, you definitely feel like that if you ever go on Twitter, which don't, but if you <laughs> ever do, um, that's totally what it feels like even Facebook or yeah. and I don't know. Cause I'm not on Instagram, but I bet it feels like it can feel like that too. It just feels completely overwhelming. Right. Um, so I, in our book, we suggest two things. And one is to look even bigger picture, like even bigger than international look like you're look at the whole arc of history and what God has done so far and how all his promises have been kept. And like to step back and think, okay, where are we in the story that started with creation and then the fall and then up to the climax of um, Jesus on the cross. And now we're in that resolution part of the story. So that's where we're operating. It can help to think like Jesus is coming back. Like we're just in the little tail end before Jesus comes back. And then if you also, it helps to look up and remember God's promises, but it also helps to come way back down because studies show you, people are anxious about the federal government, but they don't feel so anxious about their own town government. And they feel really anxious about like the school, like America's education in general, but their local school, like they know those teachers. And so they don't, they're like, oh, you know, we sent our kids there. Um, or so there's just, or they feel really anxious about that other political party, but then they have a niece or a nephew who votes for that party. And they're not anxious about that. Like they just love them. That's just their, their guy, you know? Yeah. So, um, if you could bring it back down to like, 
how can I like, can I help my neighbor with his car? Can mm -hmm. I talk to somebody while I'm walking my dog? Can I serve at my church? You know, could I go to a Bible study at my work? Um, could I vote or like maybe even run for office in my town yeah. or my school board? Like all of a sudden it feels so much more manageable. And I think that's, if you can come right, that's where the people who are making a difference, they're just like way down into like looking around around them and like, oh, but you know, abortion as a whole makes me feel crazy, but Hey, I know, you know, my sister's kid is pregnant and I, I can like throw her a baby shower or right. offer to babysit or like all of a sudden it comes down to like, Oh, I could do something about that. I could walk in that with them. And then like, that's, I think the combination of those things give you like a gritty hope, like mm -hmm. a real true hope that you, and then you can actually start actively working toward it. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that makes a, a huge difference, uh, you know, just just knowing people, you know, because like uh, in our neighborhood, we have a lot of Hispanic families, you know, and uh, and you see a lot of stuff on the news about immigration and that sort of thing. But these people, you know, yeah. it's like you, you hear the story about immigration, but you're like, but these people are cool, you know, yeah. people, you know, uh, so <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that makes a, a large difference. Um, and a lot, a lot of the stories in in, in this book, I noticed, uh, had to deal with obviously, you know, helping people, you know, mm -hmm. uh, making the world a better place, uh, and the gospel, you know, uh, but so how do we as, as Christians and as, as churches, you know, serve the world, serve people, but also not get so far focused on serving people that we don't get to the point of sharing the hope of Jesus with them. Yeah. Isn't that a funny distinction? And it's been around for so long, like that debate between like, do you share the gospel or do you focus on serving the poor? Right. Which seems like such a weird one because can't you do both? And yet you're right. <laughs> there are people that are so focused on the gospel that they're not serving the poor. And there are people who are so focused on serving right. the poor that they're not sharing the gospel. I don't know. I just think like when you're when you're following God with your whole heart and you're, and you love him, mm -hmm. I think those things come out of you. Don't you right. like, that's just a, yes. like when you're talking to Sophia, like you want her to know the Lord, right. right? So it's, but you also want her to have a coat if it's cold. Yes. Yes. So yes. when you love people, you're, you want both of those things for them. There doesn't have to be that split there. Right. So I think if you're loving God with your whole heart and and loving your neighbor as yourself, both of those things just come out. And there's lots of stories of, of, um, I know I'm going to tell this, this, um, girl in Memphis got into the school system, tutoring second graders, can't talk about God at all. Cause she's in the public school, yeah. but starts like being able to like, Hey, come over. And like, Oh, I'm noticing <laughs> you don't have a coat for the winter. I'm noticing you don't have enough food. I'm noticing your mom isn't here to go to your parent teacher conferences. How about I go? And in the way that you get woven into their life, like the gospel is just there. Like those opportunities to share are just everywhere, everywhere. Well, you know, and, and I think that's a, a good point. You know, I think that when, when the motivation of our serving comes from the gospel and from Jesus, then we're going to tell them about where that good comes from, because it definitely don't come from me, you know, because of Jesus. I mean, like if it was up to me, I'd be, I would not be doing that, but because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself out there and, and sacrifice for, for his glory. And so I do think uh, that that makes a, a big difference. Um, so tell us about having 
the right view of time and the problems with both the common perspectives of nostalgia and progressivism. And sometimes we like to think back and say, oh, it used to be so, the world was perfect in 1940. You know, like you talk to some church members and it's like, wow, there was no sin in 1950. <laughs> You know? but, I mean, like the world, this all always has issues. It has. We just get so it's time isn't you can get just get lost thinking about time because it's such an interesting construct. And to think of God outside of time is even more complicated. Yeah. Um, but to but you're absolutely right. And we can Colin especially noticed this. He's like, if you look at the political parties, like this is they're both warped, right? If you're looking <laughs> at like a like a you know, we need to get back to the golden age. Like, let's just go back to where things were. Like, what is the golden age? Exactly. Right, what are right, you talking yes, about? Yes. When was life perfect for everyone? I can't think of any time, like in the Jim Crow days, was that a good time? Right, um, so it right. just was, there, there wasn't a good time. Like we can be honest about that, but also on the same side, um, on the progressive side too, we can't get to utopia. You can't, you, we can't like, there's not, we can't make the, there's no law. There's no politician. There's nothing that is going to get us to perfection. We just can't. And so if you, when you can realize, and probably everybody leans toward one way or the other, I tend to lean more optimistic. So I tend yeah. to be like, I think we can make it better. Right, um, right. And you know, and it's not a bad instinct because we are trying to redeem the world. Yes. Um, but on the other hand, like you have to look back, like if you look back to Eden, maybe or forward to heaven, that's kind of where you gotta look. Like we're just we're just right. doing what Jesus said. We can't be on your own. You can't get you can't get to either one of those places. Well, you know, it's uh, it's funny during the election season, I would see advertisements for one party and it'd be like, we have to save America. The other person's the devil. And yeah. then you see one for the total opposite party. And they'd be like, we have to save America. The other one's the devil, you know? And, yep. and what I love about this book is it is the title Gospel Bound is as Christians, if we make the source of our identity in Christ, then it makes our ability to chill out about the world a lot easier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It just makes everything so much like, more in perspective, right? Like, Hey, neither one of these guys is, is a savior and neither one is a devil either, you know? Right, like, yeah. Yeah. They're right. just people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the, the stories that you include in your book is how a predominantly white church merged with a predominantly black church in Iowa. Can you, can you share with us a little bit about that? That doesn't seem like it happens a whole lot. <laughs> I love this story. Yeah, it doesn't. We were, I was, we had to ask a couple of times, are you sure? Is that what happened? <laughs> um, so the, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is, I mean, Iowa is predominantly white. Um, there just wasn't, even with, during the great migration, there just wasn't, you know, they don't have a lot of big cities in Iowa. It's a lot of rural stuff. So it's just family farms. Yeah. Um, and so they have this predominantly white town, Cedar Rapids. And inside of it, there was um, a predominantly white church with a pastor who really, he came from a multi-ethnic church in Des Moines before that. And so he really had a heart for it. So he was really talking about it, this congregation and wishing that their church could be more multi-ethnic. And there was also a predominantly African-American church. And he, this is unusual and God bless him. He was like, I'm just, I want to reach the city. And I know to reach the city, I'm going to have to also, like, I want to reach white people as well, because it's a wow. white city. Yeah. Yes. 
which is so, because for some, like often for African-American communities, like their church is like, that's the community where they feel comfortable and safe and their culture is done. Like right. I can totally see where you'd be like, Hey, I'm just like hanging out here. Yeah. So I really admire that about him. Well, what happened is these guys just happened to meet each other. And then they just started hanging like, Hey, let's meet and pray together once in a while. And let me tell you when a couple people say to each other, I don't know what to do. Let's just like pray with each other regularly and intentionally. I can't right. tell you how many stories start with that little pattern at the beginning. Hmm. They're just praying together. They're not talking about merging. I don't even know if they've thought about it at this point. They're just both like, hey, let's just pray for our churches and our cities when we get together. Right. And then, of course, after a while, you become friends and then you do a pulpit swap. And then <laughs> they're like, let's do an Easter service together. So while their choir was practicing, they were sitting in the pews listening to them. And this one pastor is telling the other one, he's like, we're outgrowing our space. We need to get a new building, but this one fell through. And this other one is just too big and nothing's, you know, fitting exactly right. And then the, pa the white pastor he was talking to said, well, it wouldn't be too big if we, if we moved in together. Mm -hmm. And it was just like this moment of quiet. And the white pastor's like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. He probably thinks I'm so dumb. Like, why did I even open my mouth? Why, you know, like that was. Right, right. And then that black pastor says to him, like, I was thinking the exact same thing. So God had drawn their hearts in the same way. Like, could we both, could we merge our congregations? Now, not only is this weird because one is totally white and one is totally black, but they're also both healthy and growing, mm. which I've never heard of two healthy growing churches usually That's one right. is about dead <laughs> yes that's when you're merging is when somebody's in trouble but right. this was definitely so it was just like a joining of them and they went to their wives and their wives said hey let's try it they went to their councils and believe it or not their councils were like let's try it they went to their people and most of their people overwhelmingly were also like let's do it now of course if you just walked into two random churches out of the blue and said that that's not how it would go. Correct. But these pastors had been sharing their, like for years, they had been sharing their hearts with their congregations. Like, this is what we're really wishing. Wouldn't this be great? And so they did, they merged them together and they're, and they're, they're like, guys would come up to us after the service for months later, like kind of weeping a little bit, like, this is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And they've been able to do so I don't know if you remember the derecho, like the wind that swept over Iowa and knocked over, like knocked over, like basically all the trees in Cedar Rapids. Right. And what they did is they had moved into the larger church, but they still had that other sm um, smaller church as a campus. And they were they, like, they served food from there. They handed out water from there. They were able to make it into a, they just want to make that other campus into a place where they do a lot of outreach. And that was, they were like perfectly positioned for the storm that came. And of course they're doing that all the time anyway, in that neighborhood is they've just changed it into outreach. It's just such an encouraging story. Well, it, it really is. Cause you don't see a lot of churches want to work together, whether they're African-American or not, you know, I mean, uh, the, and, and plus, but that, that was very good, uh, leadership on mm. the past because they just one day say, Hey, let's move in together. You know, it's like, let's, let's trade pool pits, you know, let's pray yes. together. Um, and so it's slow. Yeah. You know, because of that, the church people were used to it. They learned to yep. love them. Uh, and, and I think, like you were talking about, it was really great that it, it all started with just meeting together and, and praying, you know, and that's how that's how it started. And I think sometimes we, we're like, well, what do we need to do? We just need an idea. But in reality, all we need to do is ask God, and then he'll show us. 
And the good thing about God showing his stuff is he actually provides for the idea, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. He provides the idea and the ability to do the idea. Yes. I mean, so just, just really good there. Um, so can, how is the persecution of the church under Rome an important perspective to help us have hope in today's world? Yeah. Um, I think it's just so good to remember that from Rome on the church has almost always throughout time and space lived in the margins. Like the church is almost always, you'll find the church with the suffering and the poor and the outcast, those on the edges of society. It's besides the United States and Europe for a while, like it's rare to find the church in charge of government or like, you know, like a a Christian nation. Um, and so I think it's just so helpful to remember as you, as you look back and especially at that early church too, like, this is what you do. It's not like, you don't know what, it's like, we don't know what to do. We've done the church has done this before. So look back, you know, here's sort of the game plan of, um, here, you know, just like a little instruction book of like, we can receive those letters now in a different way than Mm -hmm. we could before. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. It's like you read the book of Acts in the early church and if they were a church now, they would be on like outreaches, top 100 growing churches, <laughs> but yet they did not have, they probably didn't have a fancy children's ministry area. You know, they didn't have, you know, really nice sanctuary with great sound system or lights. Like they had none of that, but yet they probably did more than what we do uh, today. And so that, that is pretty, uh, mind boggling. Um, one, one of the things that I really liked that I read in an excerpt of your book was, uh, the conversation that you had with these, uh, Chinese church leaders. And so are we fooling ourselves to think that we should be totally free from persecution in our culture? Boy, I mean, until we get to heaven, I think we are like, yes, we are yes. fooling ourselves. Like there's no, even in a, even if the laws were right, right. Like there's right. still not only people who break the laws, but we're not perfect. We can't make perfect laws. I mean, this is the classic problem of communism, right. Of like, yes. if you're going to communism or socialism rests on the idea that your government would literally be perfect, that mm. they would be able to perfectly distribute resources, that they would have a perfect you know, foresight into the future of what exactly is going to happen. And like, they would be able to like perfectly that somebody somewhere would be able to, you know, design this society exactly. Right. 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 Yes. And we can't clearly. So our democracy is not perfect either. For sure. There's troubles in it and people are exploiting other people and there needs to be some guidelines and the guidelines won't be perfect either. Um, Nothing. We're never going to get there. We just can't get there. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and you look at the conversation you had with those those Chinese leaders. It's like mm-hmm. if we ask people in America what their biggest problem was, they'd probably we'd be like, "Well, I got a bad government," you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but when you talk to them, they're like, "Look, the worst thing that can happen to us is a love of money and secularism." And I'm like, "That's scary because that's what we like to do in America." That's right. That's I right. Mean, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, and they're not wrong. You're right. Cause that makes you feel so comfortable here. And then you're not looking for, and then you're then look right. Then your gaze has shifted from Jesus and from heaven onto like 
how can I make my house more comfortable? How can I make my job more better? Like how, like, aren't we all constantly like, how can we improve just a little bit more to make us a little bit more perfect? Oh yeah. I mean, and, and you look at how successful the church is in China, even with a, you know, a difficult, difficult government, you know, um, I, I didn't realize that, that communism was designed around the idea that they could do it perfectly, you know, um, but I think that's a, that's a good example of, you know, trying to make perfection is probably at the heart of legalism, you know, mm. and, and so as Christians, I think that that shows us like, look, nobody wants to be a communist, you know, so we shouldn't want to be a legalist either because it does not work. It know? doesn't work. Uh, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing. You talked about those two churches and, and what I found is that, you know, it really doesn't matter like how old you are or what ethnicity you are or anything like that, uh, that love, uh, transpires over all, you know, all, all boundaries. Uh, you know, there was a, uh, we have a ministry at our church. It's a basketball ministry, you know, and it's a lot of African-American young men. They come, they play basketball. And then we have a Bible study and, and we have a devotion, you know, and, and one of their, um, their, their babies, uh, passed away, you know, and, and he asked, he asked me to be a part of, of the funeral, you know, and, and it's just like, sometimes we make it harder than it really is. You know, if, if we would just love people, it, it it's kind of like, I feel like a lot of churches, you know, if the people love the community, the community is going to love the church. Yeah. If the church does not love the community, the community is not going to love the church. So um, that's, that's very good. Uh, what, yeah. what do you hope people who read Gospel Bound will take away from it? And where can people find out more information? You know, I, th- I think, I hope what they take away from it is kind of what you just said about, we make it harder than it is, right? Yeah. Like, it's really just, hey, having somebody over for dinner once in a while. Like, it's just simple. Like, it's around basketball or around food. You can do a lot with a meal. Like, if you just consistently have people over for dinner, you would be amazed, right? Or if you're like, we don't know what's happening in this city. We're having such a race problem. But if I just get together with these other pastors and we pray intentionally over a period of time, Mm -hmm. all the relationships that develop out of that, that's just... I think, I hope what they would take away is just like a, a piece that it's not that hard. Right. Um, we're just following God. And then you're just doing the little things. You know, one of the stories in the book is so simple. Um, this girl, she's like at church, what I, I just want people to feel welcome. So mm-hmm. um, I'll just go sit by somebody who's, well, this is pre-COVID, but you could probably right. do it post-COVID right. yes, too. Yes, I'll just go sit by somebody who's new or somebody who's single, or just like, just to sit with them at church. Like what a mm-hmm. simple thing is that? Like, I'll just talk with you. And, um, it's really, I think we get paralyzed in looking at like, oh man, the numbers and the craziness of it and the policies that makes us feel crazy. But if you just come right back down into like, oh, turn off your phone and take a walk around your neighborhood or show up at your church and keep showing up at your church and get in that Bible study and go to that, you know, basketball ministry and just like keep showing up and, that's where stuff, like you get some momentum there. <laughs> well, I, I like the story about the little girl sitting beside somebody in church, you know, and as people have researched 
churches in that type of situation in today's world, uh, they've discovered that really what people want nowadays is community, you mm. know, and actually I feel like that's good news because, you know, it's a little more difficult to have just awesome content, you know, with community. Hey, if you got a heart that beats and some lungs that work, like you, that's all you, you're qualified. You can absolutely, uh, you can create community and, uh, and like that little girl, she's already going in church, you know, so sit beside that person and makes a large, uh, a great, great impact. And, uh, and so, uh, in chapter six, you talk about setting another seat at the table. What do you mean by that? And why is that so important? Yeah. I love that you led with that. Cause we're, that leads, right. That's where that the chapter where that's okay is. good deal um yeah just like boy to extend that hospitality and we use setting another seat at the table because it's just such a like you can picture it yes. um right it's just like such a visceral thing of like come to the just come and sit with us at this at this table right, right. um and it's also so in one sense, it's just so simple to do. And in another sense, um, it's so important for evangelism because apologetics, if you talk to apologetics experts today, it is quite a different world out there than it was in the days of Billy Graham, when yes. they would take a church bus through a neighborhood and get a bunch of people and bring them over there. And then by the end of the night, they'd be saved. Oh, you can't do yeah. that anymore. Nobody's going to get on your bus. Um, <laughs> But what you can't, so you have to like, it, it comes down to what you're talking about, like the community and the relationships. Like really, if you have a microwave, you can do this because you just be like, come over let's have some hot chocolate. And like, let's just sit on my front steps or whatever, like to extend that hospitality, to open up your life mm -hmm. so that somebody you're just walking with somebody through life so that they can see that you're different. Like, oh, I heard Christians were like homophobic and racist and right. And, but I'm watching right. you live and I don't see any of that. I see yes. joy. I see hope, a real gritty hope. Mm -hmm. I see caring. That's, you know, I just like, I want that, like to be able to invite, you have to invite the people in so they can even see it to desire it. Um, right. Right. Well, and I think that's a good point. You know, sometimes it's, it, 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 it makes a better argument when they actually see the benefits of it, you know? Oh yeah. Whereas you just say, Hey, you need this cause it's going to be great, but then they don't know anybody. And, and, uh, and also it is amazing how great hospitality is like how good it works. I mean, like uh, people, I found that people may not come to the church, but like I, I will have very few reject an offer to come eat at my house. Like, right. And I guess that's because, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an atheist, if you're, you know, a different belief, if you're, you know, living in this horrible lifestyle, whatever, uh, everybody has to eat. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, you got to eat they or do. you're going to die. And, <laughs> and like, some people may not like the gospel, but all of them like ice cream. So that's if you can, right. I mean, you get them over to your house, you get them in that atmosphere. And, and I think sometimes it's, it's hard to do that, though. Because when we invite someone over, we become vulnerable with them. And I don't know about anybody else's house, but mine is not always clean, you know? Yes, right. Uh, you know, and I then the cooking thing, yeah. you know, I mean, so uh, it, it's difficult, yeah. but I feel like, like you said, when you do it, uh, you, you see the the benefits of, of that. You know, I, I can think of one mother, uh, one family in, uh, they used, they drop their kids off on, on Wednesday nights and they never, they would never come to church, 
And so I invited them over to lunch, Sunday di dinner for lunch. And they, uh, the next time I seen them, her mother worked at a gas station. The next time I saw her, she was like, hey, there's my pastor. You know, I mean, she never come to my church, <laughs> in my house, you know? It, yep. Yep. And so it, it, you're right. It does make uh, another difference. And like you said, a microwave is enough. You know, yeah. I mean, if you got a microwave, you can, you can make a, a frozen meal. It's, I mean, yep. something, you know, and you don't even have to cook it. You can get other people to cook it, you know? Yep. Um, so and it's that, a muscle too. I think you don't have to start with a meal. You could start with sitting on your front porch after dinner, right? Like you yes, can start with yeah. smiling at somebody. You can start with praying consistently for your neighbors. Like mm -hmm. you don't have, you can just work your way, like push yourself just one, like now I'm going to say hi and ask them how they're doing on our walk yeah. when I run into them. Now I'm going to ask if they want to walk with me. Now yeah. I'm going to, you know, like just, it can just be one little, one little relationship step at a time. Well, I think that's good to start small. You know, uh, sometimes if we have goals that are so big, we just never accomplish. That's right. You know? Yeah. It has to be small enough that you can kind of see yourself doing it. Right. And then, and pray for God. And of course, like if you ask God, he'll open up opportunities too. Oh, for sure. And you know, we, uh, it, it's kind of like I, when I first got to the church I'm at now, it was, it was mostly an older um, senior adult congregation, but some of them would tell me stories about, you know, years ago when it was a thriving church. And one of the things they did when it, years ago when it was a thriving church was that um, this lady uh, and her husband that lived in the community would host a, a dessert and coffee on Sunday night. And so all, and it wasn't just for church members, but the people who were new on Sunday morning, they would invite them to their house for dessert and coffee. And so, it, you know, we, we forget about the impact that it can make. I mean, I tell people all the time, if you want me to be there, just feed me, you know, that's right. that, <laughs> Hey, I'm there. If you got some food, you know, that's right. Uh, that's right. That's good. Yes. Uh, so uh, where can people find your, your book at and more information about it? Yes, you can go to gospelboundbook.com um, okay. or you can like it's um, it'll be out April 6th okay. and then like you can already pre-order it Amazon anywhere Barnes and Noble anywhere that you can right. that sells books. Okay, well, good deal. That's good. Well, uh, and if you want to read more stories, if you just go to the gospel, if you just go to um, the gospel coalition. Coalition. Yeah. Or you just, and just search for like Sarah Zylstra, which is Z Y L S T R A. I have been writing these stories for four years. So there's four years worth of like oh, wow. stories of what God has been doing as, all as around the world. That, yeah. that is great. And it, it helps to know some encouraging stories, you know, that, that it, it gives you some ideas, right? Yes. Yes. It, it's very good. Uh, well, thank you for uh, coming on the show. And uh, for you, those of you listening, thank you for listening to the Kingdom Builders and have a great week. Goodbye.